Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. And we're on and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiagas. I'm Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. As always, this show is brought to you by DietSmoke.com. Use the promo code WADDLE, as in Jalen Waddle. Use the promo code WADDLE and you get 50% off any one item. Go to dietsmoke.com for all your THC and shroom products. Also, they also got CBD there. So um, I'm pretty certain that we have a few other sponsors, but they're coming on and off because of the Super Bowl. So I can't mention them right now, but there is one that I do have to mention, and that's betteredge.com. If you go to betteredge.com right now and you could go to our feed, on Twitter, our three yards per carry feed, and I will have a contest there for the Super Bowl that you can participate in. And there'll be all kinds of prizes, free t-shirts for even participating in it. Uh, you can go to betteredge.com forward slash five reasons. That's the number five reasons. You get $20 just for for signing up. So sign up and use the $20 to enter the contest. How easy is that? Well, one thing that wasn't easy, and I'll start with you, Simon, was this DC search. Uh, they essentially talked to everybody on the planet and they decided on Anthony Weaver. And I'll start here. We don't know what his defensive philosophy is. We do know he comes highly recommended. Jerry Sandusky was on, and I understand that he has a very unfortunate name, but it's Jerry with a G, Sandusky. He's the voice of the Baltimore Ravens, and he was on with Joe Rose this morning, and he says expect something Multiple, expect aggressiveness, expect a mix of essentially the last two defensive coordinators that the Ravens had in Wink Martindale and Mike McDonald. That sounds like an absolute dream. I don't think anybody has a clue what kind of defense he's going to run, but what do you think of the hire, Simon? Oh, what do I think of the hire? I'm just blowing me away, but mainly because there's only one year's worth of kind of tape on what any sort of defensive coordinator alignment and subsequent defense would be. I mean, you go back to that 2020 Texans team and they ran a, you know, I mean, Alf, you've watched the tape, but they ran essentially a, a 4-3 defense, single health, single high shell on the back end pretty much, mm-hmm. which obviously kind of indicates, you know, heavy man coverage. But actually, I think that I was looking earlier on today, the Texans, I think use man only for uh, 34%, if memory serves me, 34% of their, their total snaps. And they were uh, fourth in the league in blitz rate. Yeah. Blitz, they uh, were, 35.9%. You know, yeah. It was a 4-3, one high safety, stacking the box, um, trying to maintain a little bit of coverage versatility. I actually think, you know, and obviously last year's Ravens team was was significantly different. I mean, they mainly played a sort of 3-3-5. Three, three, um stack the box because that's where their strength was in terms of up the middle with Madabrique and then Patrick Queen and, and obviously Roquan Smith and then they're kind of the I mean you could make an argument that Kyle Hamlet was the best defensive player in the league last year in terms of the, the snaps that he took different positions on and I, and I wonder whether or not Weaver will kind of pass up a lot of what he did with Houston and lean more on maybe what he's learned with the Ravens under McDonald and um, you know and those sorts of things which would be you know I, I don't know if you can exactly recreate that especially as we've talked about it before we don't know what's happening on the defensive line but we also have versatile players you know for for Carl Hammond and Reed Javon Holland for example um you know people sort of forget that Holland played two years back to back 
playing six snaps at safety and everything else was playing slot corner. Um, you know, and he was an All-American as a slot corner and was a second-round draft pick, and yet everybody thought he was going to be a safety in the NFL, and that, that's where he's been. So you kind of think that, you know, I wonder whether the Dolphins will continue to use some of those sort of two high shells that we saw last season, light boxes, to kind of add a little bit of the Fangio because, you know, we were pretty good at those, you know, I think top four last season in terms of in terms of those sorts of things. I do wonder whether or not they'll blitz more, um, uh, you know, especially as we try and get through the early portion of the season without Jalen Phillips, without Bradley Chubb, or at least recovering Jalen Phillips, recovering Bradley Chubb. Um, you know, so I suspect that might raise the blitz rate. But Chris, I just kind of, it's hard to guess really. And Mike McDaniel talked about that collaborative process that he wanted to see and what he was expecting from Weaver. And I wonder whether or not there's a sort of a collaborative stealing of different formats. And maybe we just see something that maybe we've not seen before. It's just a kind of an amalgam of different schemes, a bit of Mike McDonald, a bit of Vic Fangio. And and I go back to that comment that McDaniel made to me in Frankfurt when I asked him about the, the evolution of the def of the offense. And he said, you know, I just try and, you know, it's not my offense. It's I just try and tailor the offense to the skill of the players that are on it. And I wonder whether or not there is a bit more collaboration in terms of tailoring the defense to the skill of the players. You know, you don't want Jalen Ramsey just, you know, playing zone coverage against their number three receiver if he's not traveling you know you want to you want the guys getting up in the face and playing press and you want holland being versatile and doing those sorts of things and i don't know what you think but maybe that that's what you meant by collaboration well i think when when you look at anthony weaver's history you're talking about a guy that's been influenced by rex ryan he's been influenced by mike Petton. he's been influenced by uh you know a lot of people forget that even when we're talking about the, you know, as much as we would like to look at the 2020 defense of the Houston Texans um, when he was officially the defensive coordinator, um, that was Romeo Cornell's defense. Mm. You know, that was, that was not necessarily a defense created and, you know, completely called by Anthony Weaver himself. Uh, Romeo Cornell was, was the guy there. He was the uh, associate he head coach. Um, still very much, uh, you know, in charge of the defense. And if this gives you any indication, Anthony Weaver's official title was defensive coordinator slash defensive line coach, you know? So, I mean, the, the idea that, you know, he was, he was the, you know, the buck stops with me, uh, defensive coordinator there is e even weak. So, um, so we're talking about a guy that's been, uh, that's co coached under and been influenced by Rex Ryan, Mike Pettin. Um, Romeo Cornell for a long time, uh, and uh, and then you know in Baltimore, Wink Martindale and uh, and Mike McDonald. He's had a lot of influences, and and so what are we going to get with him? Well, as as you suggest, uh, we don't know, and um, and we're kind of guessing there. And there's a certain aspect of that that I think Miami probably likes. Um, I I don't know that uh, they want teams to know what to expect from Miami's defense. Uh, so, so that's, I mean, certainly if you think about week one last year, uh, flip it to the other side of the ball with the, uh, when we traveled out West to uh, face the chargers and Kellen Moore was a fresh offensive coordinator, uh, new face in, in LA and, uh, and they didn't play any of their preseason starters. Uh, our starters in the preseason and uh, even Vic Fangio kind of admitted it mea culpa after the game. He's like, I didn't know what to expect. 
you know, I had I had absolutely no idea what to expect. I came into the game, you know, thinking that we needed to stop, you know, Mike Williams, and uh, and then and then we had uh, we had the running back Austin, or we had Eckler uh, jammed down our throat. Um, I think that there's a certain advantage that Miami might be going for, and not necessarily revealing what um what was going what the defense is exactly going to look like so um so there's that but then there's also uh you know i said this i said this even and only fins even before the even before they came out with a um a a statement about the hire of mike uh, or of uh, anthony weaver i said in the introductory press conference you know you're going to hear the word collaborative a lot and uh and i think that that's just in and uh, I think reaction to what happened, what ended up happening with Vic Fangio um, and the complaints that were had um, or were made by assistant coaches, by players, by everybody that Vic, you know, just kind of walked all over everybody and, and did his thing and didn't really take much um, in the way of uh, in the way of suggestions or uh, certainly only if he agreed with it, I guess, you know. Um, And uh, and so I think that this approach under Anthony Weaver, why he's here is because he's had so many different influences, because he's worked under so many different defensive minds. And now he has a staff where they're all going to have ideas and they're all going to, and the players are going to have ideas. Jalen Ramsey is going to have ideas. You know, Kater Kohu is going to have ideas. The guys in the secondary are going to have opinions about, um, about the way they should be attacking the opposing offenses based on their strengths. And I think Anthony Weaver is there to listen to them all and bring it together. And that, so, um, so if we're talking about what exactly is the Miami Dolphins defense going to look like? I think, yes, they're probably going to keep a lot of the same terminology of what's been established. Um, but otherwise, it's going to be, you know, a, a real collaboration of ideas from the assistants and from the players as well. And uh, and that's why he's here. Now, if if I told you, dear listener, that we knew exactly what the scheme was going to look like, we'd be lying. Uh, I think what Chris just said is probably more in line. Uh, they're going to keep a lot of these these same elements, and they're going to incorporate some of 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 his own. You got to think that working under Don Martindale, Wink Martindale, and Mike McDonald, you got to pick up something. So we're just going to assume, okay, we're going to assume that that's part of his his ethos. If it is Simon, what does that mean for the personnel that might be returning or might not be returning? on this roster sorry say that again Alf. you broke up a tiny bit you might just have to edit me out there. okay uh we're gonna assume that that part of his you know upbringing in the nfl we know it's under don martindale and mike mcdonald and it stands to reason that he's gonna build his defensive philosophy around what he learned under those two guys let's just assume that that's the case if that's the case what does that mean for the defensive personnel that could be returning or could not be returning Oh, well, I mean, if you take in a lot of Wink Martindales, then you're taking seriously heavy blitzing. You know, I mean, that's a that's an absolute Wink staple. Um, you know, that's aggressiveness. That's kind of throwing the throwing the kitchen sink at quarterbacks in terms of in terms of what Wink does. And you know, his defense essentially for for years has been an absolute outlier. Um, but I think that you know, do you have the horses to run a Wink Martindale 
defense. And I'm not sure that, you know, necessarily you do. I mean, you look at, I mean, part, a lot of it comes down to free agency and you look at some of the players, you know, Brandon Jones, arguably the best blitzing defensive back in the league. Free agent. Um, free agent, obviously. Um, you know, there are going to be players that, I mean, before you even look at blitzing, you're, you, you kind of have to look at who's going to be around, who's going to, Who's going to play? Uh, I mean, I think what's interesting about um, Weaver is that it's clear that, you know, you look at some of the players that he's had under him in terms of some of the, you know, I was looking earlier on at the defensive linemen, for example, that he's coached um, specifically who've who've done, you know, extremely well in terms of, you know, player development. And you look at, you know, the pro bowlers like Kyle Williams and JJ Watt and Clowney and Marcel Darius and Mario Williams, but then most recently Justin Madubuike. And if we're losing Christian Wilkins, you know the the job that he's done with Madubuike, who you know clearly was a talented player when he came out third rounder, I think, in twenty 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 one. But he was inconsistent, and now he's turned him into a first team All Pro. He led the NFL in sacks for for a defensive tackle. Um, and looks like an absolute superstar. So, and know, I don't know if uh, did you see did you see him uh, in that uh, in those challenges on the Pro Bowl on Sunday, Simon? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it's it's impossible. Uh, I'm pretty certain that Christian Wilkins is a pretty athletic player as well. But watching him do the, some of those, uh, like he was doing the hurdles, he was doing the the high jump, like that that guy's a how does a man that size move that way? Yeah, no. I mean, you look at Jadavion Clowney. I mean, ten sacks this season, which mm -hmm. is, you know, you get that kind of production from a guy, you know, in his thirties or age thirty. That's you know, that's a pretty solid accomplishment for Anthony Weaver. So I think you know, whilst everybody's the whole Christian Wilkins, will he won't he leave? And I suspect he does leave. You know, I I think you know he's shown the ability to develop players certainly along the defensive line which is god knows miami's going to need that it'll be interesting people are talking about oh you know we're going to bring in patrick queen and you know the three of us had a discussion at the weekend about patrick queen and, and jerome baker to me jerome baker is a better player and patrick queen struggled mightily um in his first what four seasons three seasons four seasons mm -hmm. with the ravens and i don't think it's a surprise that he played better and his best football, A, in a contract year, but B, alongside a stud like like Roquan Smith. You know, you look at some of the, the potential free agents that he might bring over, and actually I think you look at people like Brent Urban and Arthur Millette, I think they're far more likely than a, than a Patrick Queen, if indeed he does go to the well of old Baltimore players. Geno Stone's available. Any thoughts on Geno Stone? Geno Stone is available, of course. But, you know, does Geno Stone... That depends on what you're going to do with Javon Holland. I mean, Geno Stone would play a... If if you're gonna if you're gonna play a similar Vic Fangio scheme, I kind of feel like you have to retain Deshaun Elliott or bring Deshaun Elliott back on another year contract because he played so well. In terms, of if you're if you're looking for a you know box safety and alley running safety, a guy that can essentially rotate from from light box to heavy box, that's what he does better. I mean, Deshaun Elliott was essentially born to play that scheme, and I thought he had a very solid year. Um, it just depends on what you want to do with with Javon Holland because you know it's okay to put Carl Hamilton in the slot and it inside linebacker and defensive end and defensive tackle and cornerback, which are all the multiple positions he played last year, as well as playing safety. You don't want to leave, you know, Deshaun Elliott. If you're going to, if you're going to 
potentially copy a little bit of what they did with Hamilton with Holland, you're not going to leave Deshaun Elliott single high on the back end. You, you know, you're going to need an athletic safety. And that's what Geno Stone did. And he turned in with seven or eight interceptions through the season. So it will be very interesting to see how it plays out. But I think development of players is clearly high on the agenda because that's something that he has a history with. All depends on who we retain as free agents. All depends on on what the scheme is. But it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. And I think we'll begin to get an indicator, Chris, as free agency yeah. begins and we start to see the sorts of players that they're looking to bring in. And of course, whether or not they either retain uh, Wilkins or you know get rid of Wilkins and get rid of Howard, which I suspect will probably end up both being the case. Yeah, Howard, I, I think is a is is kind of a definite unless Howard plays ball and a reduction um, in pay, um, but that, and that's really hard to tell at this point. But um, maybe I missed it. I mean, Matabuike is a is a free agent, right? He is a free yes. agent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're sitting here. Uh, Christian Wilkins, as far is a free agent, like at. He's not officially free today, but I mean, the way that the, those negotiations are going, um, you know, with with difficulty coming to a, an agreement with one another, um, you know, what is to stop the Dolphins from saying, OK, you know, Christian Wilkins won't take our offer, but maybe Justin Matabuike will. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, I could and, I could interject on uh, on this. Uh, um I was told it's it's become kind of the conventional wisdom that that Kristen Wilkins turned down something in in the neighborhood of what Dexter Lawrence got, which was about twenty one APY and about sixty million guaranteed. I was told under no circumstances was it anywhere near as close to that money, but it was top ten money, which you could if you start to work it backwards, you're thinking somewhere around seventeen and about forty five. So, in other words, uh, he considered it an insult, decided to play the season, and that's where we are today. Yeah. Well, and and I don't want to get everybody's uh, everybody's hopes up about Matt Abuike. I mean, it's certainly the, the smart thing uh, for the Ravens to do would probably be to franchise him. But at the same time, franchise tag costs $20 million for that position. So, um, and that's, that's a $20 million uh, block of salary cap that you just can't, really manipulate in any way you can't reduce it you can't you know um it's it doesn't function as access to the uh to the nfl credit card so to speak um so you know it it wouldn't be terribly surprising if um if matabuike did have to hit free agency and uh and and, uh, and on the patrick queen thing i think this is a case where um you know patrick queen is i think immediately giving signs or you know telling people maybe uh on background or maybe even he said something on public i don't know that he'd love to join anthony weaver um in miami and and i think that we as dolphins fans were probably taking that wrong we should probably just take that for the compliment that it is toward anthony weaver it doesn't mean that patrick queen is going to be a miami dolphin I don't think that is going to be the case. I don't think the Dolphins are going to, uh, you know, jettison Jerome Baker and then give Patrick Queen uh, a, a whole bunch of a whole pile of money um, to come over and take his place. Uh, but you know, Rock Yassin uh, is a free agent from uh, from from Baltimore. Uh, he hasn't gotten a ton of chances to play there. 
Um, so, you know, it does make me wonder if, um, if, you know, guys like that, that hadn't had a ton of chances to play, but you know, who would have seen them a lot in practice, who would have had a lot of exposure to them over the years. Uh, you know, it'd be, be guys that worked with them, um, in, uh, in, you know, in, in Baltimore. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, I think that that's something to consider maybe, um, you know, that's, uh, it doesn't have to be rocky. I'm just, that was just an example, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, clearly, clearly some lower level free agents that are on the Baltimore, uh, Ravens would be, would be in line to look at, you know, the, of course this might be too, uh, literal of a comparison, but I'm looking at, uh, for example, a, um, you know, Michael Pierce and the role that he played on that defensive line and Anthony Weaver being a defensive line guy. And, um, and, you know, if we do lose Christian Wilkins, then one wonders if uh, Tavondre Sweat of uh, Texas comes into play as a, you know, gigantic guy who is a lot more athletic than he probably has a right to be based on his uh, size and weight. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, I know that people are like, uh, there's no way he could possibly make it to, to the Dolphins pick at number 55. But I would caution about that particular position when a guy, you know, when a guy starts to get the doubts that he can be three down, that he can be pass rush extraordinaire at that position, um, then, you know, they, they do sink. They do sink because it doesn't it, it, then it, it really brings into frame the fact that they're not Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer who are taking almost all the snaps. You know, they're, we're talking about guys who are more like Raekwon Davis, who, in terms of the the, the number of snaps that they can play. So, if uh, Tavondre Sweat, you know, I noticed he did not weigh in at the Senior Bowl, so there's something there. Um, if he weighs in at the combine, and you know, people just don't like how he looks there, or or whatever, uh, whatever it may be, or they're not buying it, then yeah, it's conceivable that he could be had somewhere in the second round. Um, and I, I think that that would be something to, to look at for the Dolphins from a personnel standpoint under Weaver. All right. Uh, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we will talk a little draft as the first round of mock drafts came out and, uh, my spirit animal released one. So that's why we're going to talk about it. So that's Lance Erline, by the way. So first these words. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage to your home or business? Are you having trouble locating a five-star rated general contractor that is fully licensed, certified, and insured? If the answer is yes, then Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, Jorge, and their team is prepared to handle any size property damage disaster. When an unexpected damage occurs to your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. Their objective is to make the cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed general contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that business homeowners and business owners require. Water Cleanup of Florida is now an authorized dealer of Eurocraft cabinets, so premier kitchen, bath, and laundry cabinetry, countertops, and other accessories are available for your viewing at their showroom in Boca Raton. Or, do you prefer to shop from your home or office? 
then Water Cleanup will send you one of our design specialists to you with samples and products that fit your style and budget. Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone if you have any questions at 954-579-0356. That's 954-579-0356. Or visit their website at wcufl.com. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And please check out their more than 80 five-star reviews on Google and Facebook. Water Cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. I'm Jalen Phillips, and you're listening to Three Yards Per Carry. And we're back. Well, I said it before the before we went to break, and I look forward to this every single year because first, first of all, he's deadly with this. Okay, like he's like he usually consistently gets the most first rounders correct out of anybody. And I know it's you know it's way way out right now, but he mocks and talking about Lance Zerline here for NFL.com. He mocks Graham Barton, offensive lineman, Duke. To Miami at 21, and he has them passing over, passing, you know, passing over Faltano, you know, Tyler Guyton. I'm not a big fan, but some are, you know, JPJ, Brian Thomas. You you get the the Roman Wilson. You get the 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 gist of where I'm going with this. Uh, if this did did come to pass, Simon, how would you feel about it? Graham Barton at 21. Yeah, I think Barton's an excellent player. Um, you know, this is a guy that can play five positions. You look at his Duke tape, you know, he's a left tackle. At Duke, I think he's a, you know, he's an excellent player. Whether he's a guard, whether he's a center, uh, remains to be seen. I just think, you know, he's got short arms, but almost always inside the, the defender's frame. You know, his technique is excellent. He's solid. Loads of quality tape showing blocking on an island, blocking on the move. He's a great athlete. You see him... You know, there's, there's film of him all over, just, you know, pulling and out in front of backs. He's quick out of his stance. He's got excellent feet. Um, and he's strong. Like, and it, he looks developed strong uh, from his tape from uh, a year ago to last season. I think he's stronger than he did. He's got great grip strength. Um, yeah, and I, I just think he's one of the most athletic offensive linemen in the draft. He's 6'5", he's 306. Uh, he plays centre as a freshman, but, you know, just depends on you know apples and eggs or whatever the saying is in terms of who we retain uh you know as to where he would play but i like him a lot i think he's a really good player and i think he'd be a really solid pick and as we were saying just before we came on air you know a smart team that that drafts offensive linemen really well and turns them into really good players like the eagles uh, like the packers will end up drafting him and turn him into a you know a 10-year kind of pro bowl caliber player so i would not have a problem with graham barton at all uh, Chris, any FOMO with Graham Barton at 21, passing up the, the names that I mentioned? No, actually, I mean, he does strike me. It, it, it's it's almost in the same vein as when they drafted and, and they traded up for Liam Eikenberg, which I know a lot of people are going to, uh, you know, immediately that'll turn them off um, because of it. But it, it does. He's always been very striking to me um, as a player that uh, – if, especially if Miami is picking late in the first round uh, that they might be on to. Uh, I, I guess the reluctance I would have about him is you really got to, if you're going to plug him in at center, for example, then you, you've you really got to, to feel like you have a good grip on what he's going to be at center because uh, the last time we saw him on uh, at center for Duke was years ago. And frankly, I've looked at that 
you know, that film of him. And uh, there wasn't anything in particularly uh, in particular about him that stood out in a, in a very, very positive way, you know, uh, as a difference maker, as a center, and you're looking for a difference maker in the first round. So um, obviously he has developed since then, but he also hasn't played center since then. He did it a little bit in the senior bowl practices. Um, I don't, I think, I believe, um, I, I haven't seen too much of the, the clips there or anything, but you, you've really got to feel like you have your arms around that, uh, is my caution. However, I will say this, um, you know, as a guy who, um, I've been talking about this a lot lately with the, um, with, with respect to Miami and college and the playoffs and, um, the, the concept of, of pass sets and, and, how how many real pass sets these guys these offensive linemen actually have, um, and how you as an offensive coordinator and the way that you design your plays uh, and call your plays can can kind of hide their deficiencies a little bit. In Miami, they had probably their offensive linemen do the least uh, heavy lifting and pass protection that I've ever seen an offensive line uh, do over the last decade. Um, plus you know and uh and i will say this about that this is one issue with college players coming out his college is like that and college it's more ubiquitous across the college landscape to go with that kind of approach and um and so the the net effect of that is that you don't know a lot of what these guys faced in pass protection coming out of college because, you know, there's only Amarius Mims, for example, you know, we're going to draft, we're going to draft him in the first round. The man had, I think, uh, 40 true pass sets this year. Um, you know, that's, that's not a lot of film. That's not a lot of film to say you got your arms around a guy. I remember back in the day, uh, 2014, 10 years ago, Greg Robinson was the number two overall pick in the draft. He was supposed to be this, you know, this this real transcendent left tackle with his uh, his run blocking, his strength, his uh, his athleticism. But every time I looked at the tape, I was like, I can't find hardly any instances of this guy actually setting back in pass protection under Gus Malzahn, um, like he would in the NFL. And fr- and frankly, if you think that guys in the NFL are becoming all pro because of the run blocking at left tackle, then I think that that's a misperception. Guys in the NFL become all pro because, you know, they they can sit back and pass protection and, and erase, um, you know, some of the best pass rushers in the league and they're trustworthy in pass protection. That's the, that's the reality of the NFL and Greg Robinson, you had almost nothing to go on. And, and sure enough, he, he ends up a bust. Um, at the NFL level as a, as a left tackle. And, and this is, but this is what you're facing across the landscape in the NFL with guys having very few real pass protection um, sets. And one thing I'll say about Grant Barton to bring it around nicely to him is that uh, he did have a lot, <laughs> you know, um, he was tested in pass protection. Uh, and you may not think he's ultimately destined to be at that position, or maybe he is, who knows? Um, but he was tested. He has a lot of tape there uh, and pass protection and real pass protection so that you can get your arms around what he can and can't do. And that, that to me, is a big positive about him. Uh, by the way, Trevor Sycamore released his first mock, and he has Miami taking Troy Fotano at 21. And 
He has them taking Chop Robinson at 53. If that happens, I'm printing out that tweet and I'm eating it live on the air. There's no chance in hell Chop Robinson makes it to 53. Simon, your thoughts? Um, I think he's a first-round I mean, talent. Robinson, I think Robinson's vastly overrated. He's got limited really? production. I think, uh, go back and look at, he had a six-game stretch, I think, where he had one quarterback pressure in six games. He reminds me a lot of the the guy that uh, before him, Owe. What was his last yeah, name? Yeah, Daffy Owe, who's at the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, yes, and he much... also got overdrafted because he's a twitched up edge rusher. They look he nice, did. you know he what did. I mean. And they're going to run yeah. good at the combine. People are going to overdraft them. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Owe, Owe has been good. He's been pretty good, but he hasn't been I... you know, as advertised. I would say. Yeah, I don't. I, I think Robinson kind of gets washed out in the run game as well. I mean, if you're looking at defensive linemen uh, in terms of Miami, I would, I would be very interested in Leatu Latu of of UCLA, who I think is you know has just got so much feel mm. for the position. He's just he's such a savvy pass rusher. I think he's the best pass rusher in terms of what he brings to the table in terms of his uh, array of abilities. The other guy that nobody's talking about is one of my favorite players in the, in the draft is the kid at Missouri, Darius Robinson, who, uh, who was excellent at the senior bowl. He's about 296. He plays inside. He plays outside. He lines up all over as a pass rusher. He's got some ability to, to get home from outside inside. He's an excellent rusher. I mean, he plays a little bit high sometimes, um, but he's a dominant run defender, uh, and he wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in terms of somebody that you just, you know, you want to give to Weaver and say, look, here's a toy, turn him into kind of, you know, you can get him up into the three hundred five area, or you can, you know, he could probably be two eighty five, whatever you want to do with him. I think he's a very very interesting player in terms of somebody that I think the Dolphins would would have a lot of interest in. I mean, you know, it kind of makes me very nervous when I hear that. You know, Chris Greer was sitting down and eulogizing about Patrick Paul of Houston. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, this is the guy that, you know, I watched every pass set that he gave, that he did at the senior bar, and th th he gave up his chest more than Stormy Daniels did to Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, this guy was, you know. There's a reference allowed, and, and a visual. <laughs> he just allowed people into his chest, rep after rep. Yeah, you know, he needs a complete technique restructure. The other thing that we talked about on OnlyFins, which is our Discord, which you can join for three dollars a month. It is, you know, we talked about. I've seen three mock drafts today, um, all done by sort of well-respected people, and all three of them have Ola Fashionu falling down. Uh, I mean, the the one I'm looking at now, which is the one you mentioned earlier on uh, by Lance Zerlai, has Fashionu at 18, um, and uh, two of the three have Brock Bowers falling to 16. I mean. You've got to think if there's a scenario where Brock Bowers falls oh down my to team with Miami picking at 21, they're yeah. not the only team that would want to look to move up. But my goodness, the dimension that Bowers could add to that offense is, you know, under Mike McDaniel is pretty, pretty impressive. But um, same with Fashano, if he falls into that region, you kind of got to feel like, you know, even though I don't think he played nearly as well this year as he did the year before, you know, he's got a, a high toolbox in terms of high caliber skill set that, you know, needs a bit of development, but yeah, uh, my I thinking do... is my thinking is that Bowers will run four five at the combine and it'll be a wrap, and then well, you can forget about but at 16. that position. At that position, they, I mean, listen, those those guys fall. I mean, yeah. at that position, mm -hmm. and you look at the last guy that was taken that high in Kyle Pitts and has really struggled to to have an impact. And mm -hmm. you've got to remember that you know you've got Caleb Williams, you've got um, you know Drake May, you've got Jaden Daniels. Those three are going to go top five, probably top three, right? 
Then you throw in the receivers and Harrison, Adunze and Neighbours are probably going to go top 12. Then in terms of corners, you're probably looking at Terry and Arnold's going to go really high. Then you, you know, Quinion Mitchell was absolutely dominant at the senior bowl. Until We haven't even mentioned pass rushes yet. So Dallas Turner. And then you look at offensive tackles. Well, you've got Alt, looks like he's going to be the first off the board, but you've got mm. uh, Fuaga, who was dominant at the senior bowl. Fashanu, who we've just talked about. And then, you, you know, you're into kind of JC Latham. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, we haven't even mentioned Jared Verse or you yeah. know, any of those guys. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's pick what, I've mentioned 15 names at, at that point, you know, and there's always a guy or two that go, you know, a bit, who are a bit surprising in terms of, you know, does a Byron Murphy go up? What about the rest of the quarterbacks in terms of, you know, Bo Nix or McCarthy, we haven't mentioned, where does Spencer Rattler end up given the the dominant performance or fairly dominant performance he turned in the senior world practices? There's always going to be a kind of a... a well, they got to rethink that. You can't go four for four and then you get this beautiful giant vase you know full of of peanut butter cups like they got to rethink that look at the tape or something there has to be an <laughs> offensive lineman that played better <laughs> but you, you know you look at someone like ennis rake straw you know does rake straw go higher i mean <laughs> you know there i just think it's you just don't know with these things you just don't know and you know i look at carl pitts going fifth overall and you know had the great rookie season has kind of fallen off a cliff and you just wonder, is there a buyer beware with teams, you know, looking at a tight end and and thinking, you know what, I could draft a left tackle or a right tackle or I could add Jared Verse or I could add, you know, whoever. I'm just going to pass on Bowers. And all of a sudden he trickles down to 14, 15, 16. And, you know, sure, you'd have Mike McDaniel just jumping all over Chris Greer saying, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. So, you, I don't know, you just don't, you just can't tell at this point. Well, and and, and I'll, I would add to that, you know, somebody like a Jerzon Newton, um, who, you know, based on tape, I, I don't see why he should be available at 21. But uh, but at the same time, you know, the players stack up. And um, as you were just saying, the one I probably don't buy still uh, is, is Olu Fashanu, um, because I, I think he is so good on tape and, you know, all certainly his analytics match up and, uh, and, and and maybe there's something there that I don't know about, and maybe that's that's what we're not what I'm not picking up on. But I, I did bring up a long time ago the Brock Bowers thing. You know, this is a position where since the Kyle Pitts thing, which is kind of turning out to be, you know, not not a good not a good you know not a good example. Um, that position does fall. So all right, and I think we can leave it right there. We were going to put a bow on the on the Senior Bowl, but. Why? Why after we just spoke about fifteen to twenty prospects, we will get into that plenty in the months to come. On Thursday, we're going to be doing something very, very familiar to you all. We will preview the Super Bowl. But till then, thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean or your usual podcast provider. 